Hello, hello, my dear audience. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Thank you for joining me today. I would like to start by sharing with you something. Uh, something my sister told me about this morning as we spoke on the phone during my morning walk. She told me that she posted on her Facebook page a short documentary she watched about the role that the Pope Pius XI, and after 1939, when he died, the Pope Pius XII played during the World War II and their cooperation with Hitler. Nothing new. I read about it before, and I also read about the Catholics, uh, individual Catholics who fought against the Nazis. My sister sent me the film uh, through email before that, a couple of days ago, and I watched it. It's well done and well referenced film. What alarmed me today, and I guess I'm venting to you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that Facebook took my sister's post or down. A message, she told me a message appeared just stating that they're taking this post down. Uh, I, I'm kind of a little bit bewildered, even though I heard, I heard these things happening before from, from other people, that their posts are taken down. But it's so reminiscent to me of, of what was happening in the Soviet Union, where if you spoke up, or you wrote something when I studied in university, uh, it would be immediately taken down uh, if it referred to anything, anything remotely connected with, with the government, with, with food shortages. Uh, in fact, in any, every university, uh, let's say there were 60 students in, in my class, there was always, we knew, there was always one person ob ob observing what's going on. And that was from what we call Department 1, from KGB. It sounds to me now there is a KGB or censorship, a person or persons, many persons probably, watching over what we post uh, at Facebook. And that's, that's really scary. I don't know how you feel about it, but it feels more and more that this is not a free country. Uh, this, this film is not uh, inciting war, not inciting violence. It's just a historical documentary. Uh, what else will they be taking down? And what medium can we use to speak our mind? It's more question I'm sharing with how you feel and also a question, do you know other uh, networks? I know there is Daily Wire, but it's just uh, a network where you listen to lectures and interviews. But is there something like Facebook in existence? I don't know. I would gladly give up on Facebook because I don't like it. And again, I heard from other people 
that their posts were taken down. Uh, also, surprisingly, I heard from one person that um, the Twitter also, or whatever they call it, X now, uh, also took down their posts. That's very disturbing. Frankly, I, I had a discussion with my son about whether or not it's an appropriate thing to take anybody's post down. And he asked me, listen, for example, Kanye West, he has millions of followers. And let's say if he posts something against a, a certain group and he influences, influences millions of people, is that appropriate to take his post down? I believe no. As long as he doesn't incite violence, but expresses his opinion, no. This is his freedom, and it's freedom of people who follow him to accept or not accept what he says. Um, otherwise, we begin to put people in jail. Uh, their freedom, take away their freedom, keep them shut down. By what? Who is the who is the judge? Who is in charge? Is it Mark Zuckerberg or those who pull the strings? And he's just a puppet. I don't know, but this is a big, big sin, Mark Zuckerberg. Shame on you if that's what you do with with this incredible blessing that was given to you. This Facebook, nothing happens by a chance. But people like him and others who created censorship in this country, you're stifling freedom, you're taking away people's freedom to be. And this is only the beginning. So I hope somebody, ladies and gentlemen, can share with me. And I thankfully I receive your emails and I, quite a few people give me good ideas on what to read. Uh, links. There is a friend, Gary, who is sending me links, educating me on, on current issues and issues that I would never come across. So I, I'm grateful in advance. Please let me know if there is something like, like Facebook, but is not uh, choking people down. Uh, anyway, uh, so that's not very optimistic start, but let me now do the show and tell. I have many things to share with you and I have a lot of emails that I received. I will try to answer them. So, but first I want to to share with you another post that Anthony Hopkins um, put up. And it's not so different from other ideas that he shared before, but it's so, so clear, so short and, and to the point. Here's what he says. My philosophy is, it's none of my business what people say of me or what they think of me. I am what I am and I do what I do. I accept nothing and accept everything. And it makes life so much easier. Isn't that great? I accept nothing, I expect nothing and accept everything. I expect nothing and accept everything. I, in different ways, I spoke about it in the past. Remember, 
I shared with you the, the concept of expectations. In fact, I, I wrote a whole essay called Negative Consequences of Positive Expectations. When you create expectations, if you remember, I spoke about it. If you have expectations, uh, more than likely you get disappointed because you don't get exactly what you want. So you are disappointed. And if you're disappointed, you hurt, you hurt, you begin to blame, you blame yourself or others. And this is a whole cascade. And if any of you, uh, if any of you is interested, uh, write to me an email, I will gladly send you a whole diagram that I have. Uh, and it shows you exactly what happens. But also, um, the, the essay, again, I can you, oh, no, the essay you can actually read on my website, um, drpeterresnik.com. You go on the articles, and I think it's even the first or the second uh, article, Negative Consequences of Positive Expectations. Going back to uh, Anthony Hawkins, so I expect nothing and accept everything. About that I also wrote, accept everything. That is, life is. Life is what it is. People are who they are, not the way we want them to be, but they are the way they are. It doesn't mean that you have to love it or celebrate it or agree with it. No. You can choose to not be with somebody who is, who is let's say, offensive. You'd simply accept that this person is the way this person is without having this righteous indignation. How dare he or she? How could they? They could because they, they are who they are. So you simply accept things and they make decisions how you want to act upon them. And one more thing that, that Anthony Hopkins wrote here, it's none of my business what people say of me and think of me. Well, one of the Many years ago, in 1990, uh, I wrote a list of things, in fact, three main goals that I set for myself, for my life. And one of them, to not care about what people think about me. And I have to tell you, it's been now, what, 20, 34 years, two other intentions I pretty much accomplished. But this one, I still do care about what people think about me. I don't care when somebody doesn't like me. Uh, when somebody disagrees with my opinion, that I don't care. But I still care about uh, the good stuff that people may think or being appreciated. So I did not, and, and yet I spoke to you in one of our talks about uh, letting go of the need to be appreciated. So I'm basically sharing with me, with you, no, I am not the master. That's why I call, call myself a teacher, not a master. The master is the person who mastered whatever qualities they need to master and mastered everything he or she teaches. But I did not, so that's why I'm a teacher, because we're all in the same boat, and I'm like you, doing my best to master those qualities. And this one, this is one of them. And I guess uh, Anthony Hawkins 
is ahead of me uh, because I, I trust him that he doesn't care. And I, I catch myself that sometimes I do want to be appreciated for certain things that I do. So I didn't master it, even though I understand that it's a good thing to get to, good place to get to in life. Anyway, uh, that's Anthony Hopkins. He, but he is definitely, I love, he's one of my most favorite actors and human beings for that matter. Now, let's go to emails. I received this email from Gladys. Dr. Resnick, ta-ta-ta, I worry about everything. Bills, my children's health, my parents getting old, the wrinkles on my face. Uh, Gladys, I, I actually have um, a whole talk in one of the shows, probably a year and a half to two years ago, I spoke about worry specifically. I cannot tell you um, what date the show was, so on. So uh, I will give you like just some ideas um, of how to deal with worry. And if you are interested really in going deeper into it, um, you will go back maybe a year and a half ago and look at the descriptions of every show. There is a short write-up. And you will find one of them talks about worry. And I probably speak for half an hour about the subject. But for now, worrying does not take away tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace. That's the problem. And you have no influence on what will happen. If you do, you do your best. Let's say you're concerned about something that will happen tomorrow or a week from now. Yes. You make concrete steps and the rest uh, to, to prevent something from happening or to make something happen. And the rest is not in your hands. Uh, wrinkles on your face. I hope you don't think of doing a facelift. Uh, that's my personal prejudice. Our face is reflecting how we face life. So you, you are a woman. Uh, so... Uh, you know, there are different creams, uh, though uh, the, uh, a woman who I know looks, who has beautiful skin once told me she did not have money, at least in the past at all. And she would use a little bit of olive oil mixed with a little bit of um, lemon. And she massaged her face and her face looks at even now beautiful. So you can take care of your wrinkles to the best of your ability. But remember, wrinkles are, are earned. Wrinkles are a reflection of the journey you went through. You earned them. But regarding your, the bills, again, if the bills are coming, it means you acquired those bills. You made decisions in life that brought these bills in your life. So either you're overspending or they're the right bills. So you have to make a decision rather than worrying what will happen. Um, regarding 
your children's health. Again, it's logistics. There are things that you need to do. You do your best. But in truth, you cannot predict everything in life. That's why some people choose to pray. Because it's not on our hands. If you believe in higher power, you connect mothers. Most of the time, mothers heart is being heard by the higher power. And do bad things happen to somebody else's children? And does it mean that those prayers were not answered? I personally choose to believe that whatever, uh, whatever happened to someone's children, or to someone's parents or to someone is the best that could happen to them. So I believe that uh, higher intelligence is running the universe and the right things happen at the right time. There is no such thing as being at the wrong place at the, at the wrong time. You're always at the right time. And yet you have to take care of yourself. Yes, you need to teach children not to go to certain places. You no, know, uh, Arabs have a beautiful saying, trust in Allah but don't forget to tie the camel to the tree. You're responsible for taking care of your health. So, but again, you can do the best you can. Once you took care of things, logistics, let it go. The same thing with your parents. They will get old and hopefully, and it's a natural cause of life, they will die before you. And you have to accept this is the reality of life. And if if you are concerned that you don't see them enough, they're getting old, see them more often. If they need help, help them. You do your best and then let go of worry. If you did your best and you still, your mind doesn't stop, then I give you an exercise. Here is the exercise. And ladies and gentlemen, those of you who do tend to worry, uh, and I am one of those people who tend to worry, you know, before I had children, I believe I felt invincible. I did not worry about anything. But those of you who have children know once you have children, uh, you become vulnerable. I became definitely vulnerable. So, but I have the tools. So the, the, in, the impulse comes, I do negative thoughts come, what if, but I just interrupt them as soon as as they come, but I cannot say that they do not come. So I will share with you a technique that I found very useful for myself and people who shared with me that they worry. Okay, so you sit back, close your eyes. And now think or imagine what you worry about. whether it's an event, a feeling, whatever it is, imagine it happening actually. The worst thing, the thing that you worry, imagine it happening. And now breathe out one time and think or imagine going into the very center of it. Whatever it is, become part of it. 
but feel it's like a screen, like it's a movie, and you're part of that movie. And now breathe out one time and see that movie, that scene, or that object, whatever it is, expanding in all directions till it reaches its boundaries. And now breathe out one time and step out, move out of that, whatever it is, far enough that you could see it from the distance. Now look at it and say to yourself, this, whatever it is, name it, is not I. This is my creation. Know that what you create, you can uncreate. So do whatever you want with that vision, that thing, that image. You can burn it in fire, because remember, it's just an image. Or you can have it being taken by the wind. You can bury it in the earth or sink it into the, in the ocean. And now place into newly vacated space something beautiful. Then breathe out one time and open your eyes. Okay, Gladys, I hope it helps. I received another email from Loretta. Loretta asking me to speak about anger. Again, I spoke about anger on many of my shows, but unfortunately, again, I cannot remember um, during which particular show I addressed it. Once there are there, there now over 150 shows which are posted in our archives. So search in the short uh, write-up, there is, there is a um, posting saying anger. Uh, but let me give at least some short um, little talk about, about anger and how to deal with it. Meanwhile, and if you want to study more, you go to the archives. The etymology of the word anger, uh, the, the meaning of the word anger, um, me, which, which in Latin means ingress, um, means tight place. A person living an experience of anger is indeed in a tight place. When a person feels angry, he or she feels tightened. Breathing is shallow. The whole body is constricted. And the range of possibilities of finding a possible solution to a problem is greatly narrowed. Anger is an outcome of passing a judgment. How can that be? Uh, look, an event happens and one person can say, wow, what a beautiful event. Or what, what a wonderful thing that happened. And the other one can be furious about the same event. So all all it is, is the, how we interpret the event. So when you 
uh, interpreting the event as one that shouldn't have happened or why it happened, um, how could these people do this or that, then you feel angry and you have to accept again that it is what it is. People are who they are. Read my, again, go on my website and read my article called Judgment. I once again, I remember, I am, I'm reminding you, you, you do not need to accept or love or even appreciate whatever triggers that feeling of anger in you. You just have to accept whatever it is, is. People act a certain way. Uh, not because of you, but because of who they are. Their reaction always tells you about who they are. So you have to acknowledge when a person acts a certain way that that's how they are. And then you can decide whether you want to be a part of it or not. In a movie a long time ago, <laughs> uh, if you are old enough to remember, there was a movie, Anger Management. And in the movie, the character... Uh, portrayed by Robert De Niro, teaches the main, the main character to get in touch with his anger. Not to say goodbye, but to connect with it. And I think it's a great idea. That is, deal with the anger as a phenomenon without trying to understand it. Uh, it's happening. You acknowledge it. Uh, just like you would deal with a mosquito sitting on your arm. Uh, you will not spend time thinking, why is this mosquito choosing me? In a moment, you simply will try to get rid of it. So it wouldn't drink your blood. So you get connected with it. You become aware of where it is in your body. Because remember, anger as any true feeling is in the body. So scan your body and notice where you feel anger. Become aware of it and then rate it. Give a number uh, from one to 10 as 10 being crazy. And then do something with it. Don't ask why I'm angry. Simply you can take it out of your body you can massage that part in your mind. Or you simply can breathe out from that spot where you feel the anger. Very often it's in your chest or in your stomach. Begin to gently breathe out. You breathe in normally, breathe out very slowly. Breathe in normally, breathe out slowly. And then you will relax. Then you can deal with whatever issues at stake. You still have to address it. But when you are in the midst of anger, you cannot address it logically. That's if something got, got our external got you angry. Uh, but in truth, nothing got you angry. You got yourself angry because you did not like whatever externally happened. So, and that was the technique for that situation. But what if... Uh, you feel kind of dissatisfaction, uh, resentment, anger, 
or some other negative feeling. You're not even sure what it is. So then again, you identify where it is in your body. You close your eyes and then ask your anger to appear to you in any for, form or shape it can appear. It, it sounds, unless you close your eyes, it sounds kind of weird. What do you mean, how can it appear? But if you close your eyes and you welcome that uh, anger to that it would appear in whatever shape or form it can appear, just you say it, please come in whatever shape or form you can appear, you will see something will appear. It will be, I don't even want to say, it can be some shape, some form, it can be a person, it can be a creature, whatever it is. And then you say, thank you for coming. Tell me, what is it that you came to inform me? And then thank it when it tells you. And more than likely, that thing will tell you what it is that is bothering you. So you thank it and say, please, now you can, you can go you th thank you for the message because remember when a messenger comes you don't invite that messenger to live with you you give them a tip maybe and then you send them away so the same thing with with that anger if it informed you about something thank it and say goodbye to it okay now another email oh well it's already 2 30. uh and the email is from my friend from California, Ricardo. Uh, remember, yeah, yeah, Ricardo actually called me on something. In the last email he sent me a few, uh, yeah, a few days ago, uh, he reminded me that even though during the last show I said that Hamas terrorists who committed the inhumane acts of October 7th were still human beings. And he said that I said that we're still human beings. And but I said that they were degenerated into some kind of monsters, which unfortunately uh, is not new to human history. And I provided examples to it. Ricardo referred me to and gave me exact minute and second of the show of January 9th, where I actually said that they were not animals, because that would be an insult to animals, but they were not human either. Well, I checked, I checked exactly the minute and the second that Ricardo gave me. And you are right, Ricardo, I said that. And I made a mistake then saying that. They are human beings who, because of their hatred and possibly education from childhood, degenerated into the level of what a human being is capable of. And I gave historical precedence to it. Ricardo, I did not forget your question, by the way, about the secret meaning of the Hebrew alphabet and numerology. I just need time to prepare. It's a, it's a very interesting subject. And I have been super, super busy. Um, in fact, you know, I do the, the, the show, I, I'm, 
on the board of directors of a, char a charitable organization providing help to um, people who cannot afford mental health for people who cannot afford I teach and and in fact the yesterday yesterday I had um, uh, somebody come and interview me and that is Gary Nall is um, creating yet another documentary on addiction and he invited 10 or 11 people uh, to be um, what is it contributors to this documentary and Gary asked me to be one of the contributors and he sent Roland who came with his camera to my home with his camera with the lights and the whole production <laughs> and he interviewed me for a long time I don't know how much time um, how much of the of, of the interview they will put in a film because you could make probably an hour film from just what he interviewed me uh, on but I'm sure that they will just take some small parts but maybe I will share with you now um, what I spoke about I, even though again I have I think I had dedicated a whole hour to the subject of addiction but let me tell you but it was I think a couple of years ago so let me tell you what I from what I remember what I shared with Roland yesterday uh, about the addiction in fact um, Richard Gale who works with Gary uh, sent me a note saying that um, alcohol addiction and drug addiction and a gambling addiction were all covered by other specialists so that Gary wanted me to talk about social addictions like codependence and the need for attention and so on so here I will tell you what approximately I said because because my approach is not to addictions is not that one addiction is different from another all addictions from my point are the same what do, what do I mean there are two impulses that are at the root of all addictions whether it is alcoholism or workaholism whether it is a drug addiction or drama addiction meaning getting attention at any cost whether it is addiction to money or sex or power or an addiction to um, being a part of the group needing to fit all of them are rooted in two human impulses tragically these two impulses are encouraged nurtured and lately codified as ethical principles of the most powerful organizations in America including American Psychological Association and American Association for Social Workers to which I belong and that is why the United States is and has been for a long time the addiction capital of the world 
what are these two impulses you want to know? Well, uh, I want you, I want you to, to guess. I want to keep the suspense. I have to tell you that these impulses, maybe it will be a hint, we know about for 3,380 years. How about that? Yes, I'm talking about the Bible. These impulses are described in the Bible from the very beginning. By the way, uh, those of you who do not see the Bible as a divine document, that's perfectly fine. Then, do, for the sake of this talk, think of the Bible as a set of archetypal stories for humanity, just like many myths. They've expressed different archetypes. So, what are these two impulses? Remember from the beginning, when Adam is created, God says to Adam, do and do not. God says, from every tree and every herb you eat, that's good for you for food, and do not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge. And not sooner than he creates for him a partner, Eve, uh, but at, at that time she's not called Eve, she's called a woman, they eat from the tree. And of course God finds out about it. I don't know, maybe if you watch CNN. Uh, God finds out and goes to, to them, goes, goes to Adam and says, what have you done? And does Adam take responsibility? No. Adam goes, moi, me, a woman that you gave me, made me eat. Notice, not only Adam does not take responsibility, he blames God, right? And so, of course, God goes to Eve. Why did you eat from the tree? And Eve takes responsibility. No. Oh, it's the serpent who made me eat. And what about the children? What about Cain? The next story, the next generation, Cain and Abel, remember the story, we went through it, uh, sacrifice, and Abel's sacrifice is accepted by God, and Cain's is not accepted. And it's written, Cain's face fell, meaning he became depressed or sad. And God said to Cain, why is your countenance fell? Why are you sad, basically? If you improve yourself, you will be surely forgiven, which means God is giving Cain a hint. You screwed up. You did something wrong. So does Cain take responsibility and say, excuse me, Mr. God, what did I do wrong? Let me make a correction. No, it's written. After God said, you know, you screwed up, it's written, and Cain spoke to Abel, to Abel, and then they went into the field, and Cain killed Abel. You can even imagine. What did Cain speak to, to Abel about? Did he say something like, why are you kissing up to this guy? Why, why are you better than me? What's special about you? But at no time does Abel Cain take responsibility. So, so this is one impulse. 
the impulse is denial, not taking responsibility. And in fact, when you don't take responsibility, you make somebody else responsible. So this is one of the impulses. And the, one, the other one is greed. Greed. Remember again, the, um, the prohibition is very clear. Do not eat from the tree. But it's written when, when the serpent is offering um, the, the fruit from the tree, seducing Eve. Eve looks at the tree and it's written, and it was pleasing to the eye and good for food. That's a greed impulse. You were just told what to do, what not to do, by whom? By the creator. And translate it to our everyday life. We all know what is good for us. We have this intuitive knowledge. This is good. Nobody ever said, oh, let me have a cigarette. My body will love it. No. When you smoked that first cigarette, you were puffing and coughing. And it may look cool, or I want to be like everybody else. So the body knows, but the greedy impulse, your body doesn't know that it's not good for you to eat a handful of M&Ms. Of course it knows. And the first voice, the, the inner voice is saying, no, that's too much. Don't eat it. But it feels so good. So the first, the, the impulse is greed. Greed that goes against the first voice. The first voices of God, or we can call it intuition in our everyday life. So greed and denial, let's look at them both in our everyday life and how, how they create addiction. Uh, first, let's talk about greed. Let's look at uh, drugs and codependency, which is also known as a relationship addiction. You see, I, I chose randomly. It could be any other addiction. But let's look at these two. And remember, these afflictions are happening with the cacophony of the background. That, good, that greed is good. Those of you who are young, uh, older remember the movie uh, Wall Street. And the main character played by uh, Michael Douglas says, greed is good. It's good for you. Every, every source, every media is telling you, it's good, have it. There was this uh, commercial um, of, of some ice cream and this uh, nice looking woman, not an ounce of excess weight, holds an empty container of this from this ice cream, and she says, I ate all frozen glacier. And the narration, narrator on the, on the background says, enjoy the guilt, which means it's good for you. Eat it. It will make you feel good. And we are bombarded by these messages. Uh, this is an old television. Now they have new generation. Oh, this is an outdated cell phone. The hypnosis of social conditioning for more, better, and different, more, better, and different. 
We're bombarded by it. And remember what George Bush the second said on, after September 11? It was a tragedy. Whole nation was grieving. And what did he say? Let's grieve together. No. Go shopping. We will not be scared by, frightened by all these people. Live your life. But live your life how? Go shopping. So it's all about greed, about feeling good, as if the purpose of our life is to just feel good. Life is challenging. We have to learn that we don't have to have whatever we want. We can say no. The same thing with codependency, by the way. It's about greed because it feels good to give someone that you care about. You want the person to like you. You don't want the person to walk away. You don't want to lose that person. Uh, of course, psychologists will begin to say, but why? Uh, why are you dependent on this person? Uh, what from your childhood made you feel this way? Don't go into psychology of it, because you may not never, never know. Depending on what your belief system is, if you believe in genetics, maybe it's in your genes. You believe in past lives, it came from your past lives, this dependence, this neediness. So what? You have to make a decision consciously. It's right for you or it's not right for you. And make a decision and move on. Now, what about denial? Oh, God, we, we have, don't have much time now. What about denial? Drugs, alcohol, or workaholism, or codependency? It's, it's another problem. Uh, so people don't choose uh, all drugs or this dependency only because of greed. The second problem is denial. And I think denial is even bigger source of, of addiction. It's too painful for some people to deal with life. It's difficult. You know, the teachings of the Buddha begin with words. Life is difficult. So a person does not want to deal with a divorce or exams or parents getting old, feeling insecure about a big nose, small boobs, or being too short, or being too skinny, or being too fat. It's hard to face the challenges. So they choose to smoke marijuana, get high, or other drugs, some, or stay at work till late, not to deal with it. That's the denial. That's avoiding to deal, using a drug or relationship to to avoid dealing with problems, with codependency. It is denial of the fact that one feels that nobody else would want them, or denial that they are actually harming the one they love so much by allowing them to be the worst of themselves. It's hard to say no. So you say yes, but you are in denial. You don't want to face the truth that this person is going downhill. So the treatment for both 
before anything is, you are in control of your life. You have the freedom to choose how you're going to live your life, whether you choose a drug because of an impulse of greed, or you choose to not look at, at the reality, and you choose not to uh, deal with the poor relationship because it's too much of a headache, too many arguments, too many arguments. So you stay in this in a dysfunctional relationship for another 10 years, drinking yourself into oblivion or working 14 hours a day. So the answer is first, you have to face the truth. And for that, you don't need necessarily a psychologist. If you have someone close to you in life, you share with them, someone who is not, quote, on your side, but someone who is on the side of truth. It can be clergy, it can be a good friend, or it can be a psychotherapist. And then you choose to face the truth. Face the truth knowing that it's hard. Life is not easy always, but you do what it takes. Or you live as a junkie, dependent either on a, on a dysfunctional relationship or the substance that makes you dysfunctional. Well, that, <laughs> I got to, uh, carried away. That's what approximately I was talking about uh, in the interview. Now, finally, I don't have any calls. Um, and I, actually, I didn't even offer you to make calls, and we have only 10 minutes left. Well, now we can go back to the subject. It's our default subject. We're slowly moving ahead with our Bible study, and we are still in Genesis on chapter 22. Uh, I will read several verses and then do my comments on them. And we arrived to a very important time. It's written, and it, come, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And he answered, here I am. And he said, please take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go away to the land of Moriah and bring him up there for a burnt offering on the mountain of which I will tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, wait a minute. What just happened? Abraham, first of all, Abraham has two sons. He has Ishmael. Why is God saying, take your son, your, the, your only one who you love, Isaac? It's obvious that he has an older son who is 13 years older. Abraham has an older son. Why is God saying, says, your only son? The message that uh, the sages receive is, it's the son of you and your wife, Sarah. It's the one who will carry the legacy. It's the one who will continue your line of teaching teaching the values. But now there is another conflict. Uh, sacrifice, sacrifice Isaac 
you just few chapters before, just uh, and uh, time-wise, you know, uh, 30, 13 years. Uh, no, 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 I at that time, um, uh, Isaac is already 37 years old. So when Isaac was uh, born, and then another time when Isaac was 13 years old, God said that you will be a father of nations, and from your seed, people will be learning, and you will be the light into the nations, and that's through your son, Isaac. So, and now you're telling me to kill that person? What kind of logic is it? And you're also against human sacrifice. That's why you, you, you taught me. You took me as a person who you're going to enrich with all the knowledge that is necessary for the world to become uh, one. You want me to be the light into the nations and teach them not, not to, to murder people. And now you're telling me to kill my own son? That's, that's a little bit of a mess. That's what uh, Abraham possibly could have felt. Now, probably anybody else but Abraham. Because what happens? The third verse, and Abraham arose early in the morning and settled his donkey. And he took his two young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Think about it. Abraham arose early in the morning. Don't you want to delay? Don't you want to do it as late as possible? Okay, God told you what you are going to part from the sun, the sun you love, and you get up early in the morning. Why do people get up early in the morning? They get up because they do something, they're excited about it. And that is the part, that is the incredible thing about Abraham. He has faith, and that's complete faith. He goes to do what God told him with 100%, no doubt, total faith. You asked me to do it, and I do it. And what about the promise that you made to make me a father of many nations? It doesn't matter. Your word is the truth, and so I will do at the end, it will be all right. So how many people can, can say, I have total faith? I, I don't know, I don't know. I, I definitely can, don't count myself as a person who would have such faith. And it's written in verse seven, and Isaac spoke, now he's taking, Abraham is taking Isaac and, and they're traveling to the mount, I don't, within three days, I think. Uh, in the previous verse, but the seventh verse says, and Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, my father, and he said, here I am. And he said, here is a fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham tells Isaac that God will find the lamb. What is really going on? What is the purpose of this test? We know eventually Abraham is not killing not sacrificing uh, 
Isaac. So Abraham is being tested. But isn't it a cruel test? What is the purpose of this test? And if God knows past, present, and future, God knows that Abraham will be loyal enough, that Abraham is his loyal servant, that he is willing to sacrifice. So why then is to test Abraham? Isaac was 37 years old. Isn't it a trauma for Isaac to go through this? Uh, that's an incredible question, I think. Um, but I, I don't think that we have time now to go. I want you to keep you in suspense. I want you to think. I brought up these questions. But what is the answer? Why is this test? The test is for both. Remember, if Isaac, if, if Abraham is like 138 years old and no, uh, 127 years old, and Isaac is 37, Isaac could pretty much beat up his father. He could resist. Because remember, then Isaac, um, Abraham is binding Isaac, putting him on the altar. Isaac could resist, and yet he doesn't. So the test is for both. And who is tested more, Isaac or, or Abraham? I would like to leave you with these questions because it's, it's monumental questions and, and a lot of wisdom coming from, by answering, from answering these questions. So I want to leave you with these questions. And you absolutely, you're welcome to send me emails. Nobody called today. Um, but uh, you are welcome to uh, write to me or call me next week and we'll continue our dialogue about this situation with sacrificing Isaac. My email again is peter, number 18, R-E-Z-N as Nancy, I-K, at gmail.com. I will be happy to hear from you. If you have questions on other about other issues in life, if, as, as long as I, uh, I'm competent and you know what my specialty is, you're welcome to send me emails. Um, I know not everyone is, is willing to, to call, um, but again, I'm, I'm happy always to hear from you. And I want to thank you for being with me today. Um, enjoy your life. Be happy. Peace to all who want to live in peace.